Welcome to the 65th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, a discussion of the NBA draft and major trades and signings in the NBA. But let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And all the predictions are in Major League Baseball, starting with the Giants taking two or three from the Astros, with Patrick incorrectly picking the Astros in this series. The Brewers took two or three from the Braves. Patrick correctly picked the Brewers to win that series. The Reds took two or three from the Mets. Patrick correctly picked the Reds. And the Rays swept the Red Sox, with Patrick incorrectly picking the Red Sox. So Patrick went two and two in his MLB predictions, making him two and two overall this weekend, and 151 and 14 overall, which is a 57% winning percentage this season. Patrick, your thoughts? Well, I will say, uh, the one series that stuck out to me, I thought all of these would be two of threes, and if there was a sweep, it would come from the Brewers, just because, look, the Braves are not, they're not, they're not last season's Braves, all right? Let, let's be quite honest. Um, and especially because, as we said, they literally got, inherited an entire platoon of outfielders at the trade deadline, so you expect maybe some slow starts in their new threads, but instead... The Rays sweep the Red Sox. No Tyler Glass now, now out for the season. The Red Sox had had opportunities, in my opinion, to win at least two of these three games. But instead, they end up one and a half games back of Tampa Bay, whereas they were one and a half games ahead of them going into the weekend. That's a huge swing in that division. Really gives the Rays the opportunity to win that division, actually, outright, like they did last year. Uh, and if they do that, people need to watch out, because look, it is... It's not the same Rays team, but uh, Willie Adamas only hit like 180 in the playoffs last year, if I remember correctly, and I don't think he was very great in the World Series. So when it comes down to it, they don't really need to replace that much. The Rays are going to be the Rays, I think is the best way you can say this. Uh, they, they lose a lot of players every year, and it just doesn't end up making a difference whatsoever. They just keep doing the same thing. So if, you, if they're going to repeat that performance... We need to watch out because, again, this is a team that made the World Series last year. They beat the Yankees to get there. The Yankees have gotten worse, I would argue. And I would say probably the Red Sox are better than last year's Yankees. The White Sox are better than that team. But at the same time, the Rays could still make it. So long-term, that has some importance for the playoff, uh, for, I mean, home field for them. And I honestly think it's more important to keep home field away from Boston than it is to get it to Tampa Bay. But uh, it does both. So... Really important series win for the Rays. Then you have the Reds who are starting to pick up steam, and with Tatis dislocating his shoulder, uh, if they want to go the surgery route with him, he might be out for the season. If they don't, this is the third time it's happened this season, and a lot of people have said that once that happens once, it just keeps happening if you don't get the surgery to repair it. So, And by the way, it has happened three times this season alone. Uh, so it's possible that that carries on, and by the way... The Reds now only four games back of a wild card spot, although the Padres have a pretty easy schedule coming up. But look, the Reds are red hot. Uh, no pun intended. They are really gaining some 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 ground in that wild card race. And by the way, two weeks in a row, I picked the Reds and they won. Even in a one and three week, they were the one team to win. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So next week, I will be picking the Reds if they're playing anybody halfway decent. Uh, then I, I kind of went in reverse order, but I think this is fun. Um, the Brewers took two of three from the Braves. There were some interesting games. There were some close games. The Brewers felt like they were in like 20 different jams in the last game and somehow only gave up one run and still won two to one. But, you know, that's the way it is. The Braves don't really have a lot of run production when Acuna's out. So 
That's kind of what's going to happen to them for the rest of the season, in my opinion. And then you have the Giants taking two of three from the Astros. Two teams that were relatively active at the trade deadline. Maybe the Giants less so than the Astros. Uh, but the, it was pretty exci- It was a pretty exciting series, I think. Um, the Astros did have a 2-0 lead in, in actually the first inning of Game 3. Uh, and they did not end up winning that game. Chris Bryant homered in his first... Actually, I think his first play... No, maybe not his first play appearance, but his first game in his new uniform in San Francisco, which makes all three of Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo homering in their first game in their new... Uh, t- in their new... In their new... at their playing for their new teams, and that's the first time that's ever happened before. Pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, those Cubs guys were going to make a lot of impact, and we already knew that. And by the way, Greg Kimbrell already has, has a save for the White Sox, too. Yeah, well, uh, you went 2-2, two and two, but you picked uh, four series with really competitive matchups, all playoff contenders. So uh, right. I'd say 2-2 two and two is not bad, and you could, you could easily have gone 3-1, and one, as we were discussing when watching these games over the weekend. All right, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday at 4thand24.com. Let's move from Major League Baseball over to the NBA. And the first of our two topics on the NBA is uh, a look back at Thursday's NBA draft. So, Patrick, I want to start out with a, a few questions. Um, in the last podcast, we talked about uh, our dra- in our draft preview podcast, I asked you about the Golden State Warriors. They had two of the top 14 picks, number 7 and number 14. Uh, I asked you what they should do to maximize their chances of being a contender for the Western Conference Championship next year. Looking at what they did... Um, taking Jonathan Kaminga overall at number seven overall and Moses Moody at number fourteen. What are your thoughts on the Golden State Warriors? Well, I actually I, I, it took me a few days to really rationalize that these picks are good picks. To be quite honest, um, Moody I thought was a guy who slipped under where people thought he might have been going in the draft. But at the same time, you know, when you think of the Warriors, you think if this team drafts a guard, they're just doing something wrong because they have Steph and Clay. What is the need to draft a guard? But as I thought about it more, it is true. Their team is established enough that nobody that they're going to draft should be a starter right away. Maybe one of them ends up as one, but I don't think no matter how high they picked, unless you're literally picking Cade Cunningham or maybe some of those guys in the top five, I don't think that any of those guys would have ended up a starter. So now that I think about it, Moody is a really, really good backup to Stephen Clay, and if he's got those two to learn from, he will learn a lot really quickly, and as he put it best himself, being in that kind of a situation makes you have to be better. You can't just sit back and just play your game. You have to get better when you're in an urgent situation that's trying to win a championship. So I think that's very important, and it says a lot about Moody that he came out and said that immediately. And I had pinged Kuminga as the guy who I thought, outside of the top five, was a really good talent because look, he was he was heralded as a better recruit than half the guys who were who were going in the top four. So uh, at the same time, it's like his talent was there. It's just that some of his uh, some of his issues were exposed a little bit in that in the G League bubble. Uh, it brings up some worries for people. If you look at it, this is probably the most polarizing draft grade out of anybody. I mean, a lot of people have Kuminga as an A plus pick because he, they got him at seven, and he could have been a top three pick going into the year. A lot of people actually thought he was the top contender to be the number one pick before, uh, well, a- outside of Cade Cunningham going into the season. But then there are also some people who said, look at all of his issues from the G League bubble. This is a C-minus pick. You could have gotten somebody better. So there's a lot of different variants in what in what people think of this pick. I am one of those people who believes in Kaminga's talent, and I think that 
in Golden State where he doesn't have to be put um, like under blast immediately where he feels like he needs to be the top player on a team. I think it's the good situation for him to grow in. I think that when you put players like that who have a lot of potential but also have a lot of deficiencies in their game, if you put them in situations where the team is not trying to win but they're trying to develop players and they're really putting them under the microscope, I think that's when those players kind of tend to have their careers fall apart and tend to be busts. But when you talk about putting him in the situation that Golden State is in, where maybe he starts, and if not, he's learning a lot from Draymond Green backing him up, that's a good situation. I like what the Warriors did, but by the way, still would not be surprised if they end up trading these two or one or neither, uh, or just making trades in general to get it, to get older players to get veterans. So it really could be a variety of things, and if they want to use them as, tra- as, as guys in a trade, these are two really valuable assets. All right, let's uh, move on to your thoughts on who were some of the best picks that were made. I narrowed it down to five. Uh, The first one, it it sounds stupid, but Cade Cunningham at number one. Why? Because I think that Detroit really needed somebody like Cade. I don't think this is a situation where you feel like there's anything that should persuade you to trade out of the number one pick. I don't think there's anyone else that they should have been taking. I think there's just too much evidence that he should be the number one overall pick. Uh, now that I've said that, he's probably going to be the biggest of us of all time because I said it. Um, but regardless, look, he has too much talent. He's like a six-eight point guard. He he's really he is so talented and has such a great build to be really just a, a multi-time All Star. He's so versatile. So it's it's really really it's a great pick. Uh, and I think some of the some of the most important picks that have ever happened are people not thinking outside of the box and intentionally saying. This is what we have always thought, so we're going to stick with this, and we're going to be very, very rigid. This is one of those picks, but this is where it is necessary. You do not need to think outside of the box. You do not need to say, oh, well, Kuminga was up here at the beginning of the year. Let's go get him. No, you do not need to do that. This is the right pick, and I applaud Detroit for not getting persuaded to do anything else because, look, sometimes it does happen that people make the wrong picks in these types of scenarios. They didn't. The next one I'm going to go with is Jalen Suggs. Now, I don't think this is one of those best picks as in like a team got good value by some scouting. I think that him falling below four was just so shocking that I think that Orlando gets really, really good value out of a guy who, as we said, the top four seemed so set going into this draft, and then it was really just a large depth of talent, but not as good as the top four once you got beyond, once you got to five and beyond. They got a steal that Suggs actually fell to fifth. We're going to talk about this more. Um, I'm going to move on. I think James Booknight at number 11 is someone you have to look at to Charlotte. He was, a lot of projections had him going sixth, seventh, eighth, depending on which team needed a guard. A lot, most of them saying sixth or eighth. The fact that he fell all the way to Charlotte at 11 is actually crazy to me. Uh, I think he has a lot of talent and a lot of potential. He has all the measurables that NBA teams are looking for, that if their coaching staff can do anything with it, he is going to turn into a really, really good player in the same way that LaMelo Ball did. Uh, Maybe not as good as LaMelo Ball, but he really could could become a really, really, really high-volume scorer in the NBA in the future. And he also, I don't think, needs that much time to get there because... He wasn't one of the older people in the draft, but he wasn't a one-and-done. He he has been he was at UConn for, I think, two or three years. So this is someone who I think will make Charlotte better immediately. Uh, and maybe not. Maybe they don't insert him into the starting lineup because they have 
you know, they have LaMelo Ball. It's not like they need a starting guard, but uh, he will make an impact. The next one I'm going with, a little bit lower down in the first round, but that's actually why I think it's a great pick. Josh Christopher to Houston. Not only not only is Josh Christopher just a great pick because he is very, very talented. This was a top 10 recruit going into last year, sliding all the way to 24th, which is frankly pretty low for a top 10 recruit if you want to look at it that way. Uh, but also, he played with Jalen Green in high school and an AAU ball. The connection between Green and Christopher is already existing. And if you're the Rockets, you're looking to build your team out of all draft picks. Why not get two guys who are, why not get a point guard and a shooting guard who have a connection that's literally already existing from high school? There is no better way to do it. And by the way, they also have Kevin Porter Jr. who's going to be talented. Those three guards are really good a really good formation of a start of a good team. Although I don't think, don't get me wrong. This team's not making the playoffs next year. Nothing like that is going to happen. But when you have these guys growing together for many years to come, this should this should become a really good core for the Rockets at guard. Jalen Green, taken number two overall by Houston. Yes. Uh, although not on the best picks list because, I mean, that was pretty obvious. It was a pretty obvious pick. Um then the last one, I'm going to go with Namias Keita, and the reason why, no, it's not because he went to Sacramento. The reason why is because Sacramento has been awful at defense for so long. Well, not maybe not for so long, but I mean, well, you have to be pretty bad at something if you're going to never make the playoffs, but they were the worst team, I believe, in defensive efficiency last year, and they get the D1 blocks leader, the Mountain West Conference all-time blocks leader, averaged three and a half blocks per game last year. He's seven feet tall. As many of his scouting reports pointed out, he doesn't foul out either. He's not somebody who's swatting at everything. He stands straight up and blocks your shot, which is something that Sacramento really, really needs. I mean, Rashawn Holmes is a great defender, but by the way, it's not a sure thing that they're going to re-sign him either. So again, free agency talk. We'll get into that later. But uh, this is a really good pick because also he rebounds. He, He is everything that Sacramento needs. And they got him at pick number 39. That's the thing that I think is the most important. This is a guy that maybe if he scored more, maybe if he played in a bigger conference and had these kinds of numbers, he would have gone first round, high first round. I mean, look at where Evan Mobley went. I'm not saying that Keita is as good as Evan Mobley, but if you take Mobley's stats and put it in the Mountain West, he probably ends up in the second round too. So if you flip them, maybe he doesn't end up being the number five pick, but look, a lot of blocks per game. You like three and a half blocks. That's a lot. Uh, over 100 in his career, I believe. Also averaged 15. He also averaged a double-double. Anybody who averages a double-double in three blocks per game is a really good pick. And to get it at 39 for a team that desperately needs defense is a very good pick, along with Davion Mitchell, by the way, who's a really good defender too, but I didn't put him on this list. Yeah, I know, I know you love that pick. We were You were very excited when that pick got made. All right, uh, let's turn our attention to who you think might have been the biggest steal or sleeper in the draft, and maybe it was somebody you just mentioned, given you've got a couple low picks here. I give it to Josh Christopher. Uh, I think for the reasons that I already said, he's going to form such a good guard duo. He he has so much talent as a scorer and so much potential. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I know how he slid to 24th, to be quite honest, but at the same time, I don't, I don't necessarily see why a lot of teams picked some of the guys they did over him. Although, you know, it's probably something they saw in scouting. These are NBA teams, right? They do their jobs very well. They scout very well. They know what they want. 
Uh, you know, the Spurs make questionable picks every single year, and then you just say, well, the Spurs made the pick, so it must be a good pick, right? So uh, I'm not surprised that he slipped this far, but at the same time, that is really good value at 24. This is a guy who has talent way above the 24th pick in the draft. So let's. So then the last question, let's talk about uh, some of those folks taken above Josh Christopher who you think were picked way too early. Well, I think Christopher wasn't going to go above any of these guys, but... Scotty Barnes was not picked way too early, but too early, number four, uh, at number four to Toronto, because you got to pick Jalen Suggs. What are you, I don't know what they're doing. I, I don't know why, I, I mean, look, to be quite honest, Scotty Barnes is a great, great player. He has a lot of potential. He has all the measurables that an NBA team would want. But he, right now, he's a poor man's Draymond Green, and I don't know if he gets much better than that. He shot 28% from the three-point line in college, and throughout the year show showed no signs of improvement. It was pretty much the same rate throughout the year. Maybe in his best game, he shot like 50% on three of six from three or something like that. But you were not seeing him shoot in volume. You were not seeing him have confidence to shoot. He would always prefer to drive. Teams wouldn't fall for his for his shot fakes either. So he's got to develop a respectable three-point shot at six foot nine. I mean, look, even Giannis has been... Giannis had to take his three-point shooting to a decent level to be able to be really, really, really unguardable, and he's 6'11 and has way more physical talent than Scotty Barnes does, and it's just true. It, that's just the way it is. But Scotty Barnes needs a three-point shot, and he does not have one. And I also... Th- this this kind of changes with some of the stuff that happened in free agency, but if they were planning on winning now, this is, this is a long-term pick. This is not a short-term pick. Which... When I was writing this, it made a lot more sense, but now it doesn't based on some of the stuff they did in free agency, which I'll circle back around to in our next segment. But the next one that I would... So really, one other point on Scotty Barnes that that you mentioned when we were watching the draft is this guy got schooled by Franz Wagner, who was picked up. Yeah, got completely outplayed as as Michigan destroyed Florida State. The number eight pick took care of him. Right, exactly. And it wasn't even... And by the way, Scotty Barnes' strength is supposed to be his defense. Not only did he miss a bunch of threes in that game, but he also didn't really guard Franz very well. So there are a lot of things that you could say about, um, about, about Scotty Barnes. But at the same time, look, he does have the talent level. I think he was a top five overall prospect, recruit going into last year. So this is not a guy who doesn't have talent. It's just that... I see the three-point shooting as a as a very, very big problem. All right, well, let's move on to your next one. Yeah, I have Josh Giddy going number six to OKC, reason being, it's too... Look, OKC can have this identity that they think that they're the San Antonio Spurs and they get to make the most random picks and they're just going to develop into good players, but until it actually works out, I need, I need to see them pick something else. Um, I think that number six was just too high, and I also think... You know what I think about Kaminga. What... Why don't you pick him? Why don't you pick a guard like Moses Moody? Maybe he's a little bit too much further down, but I don't get the giddy pick. Although at the same time, they did interview him a lot, and they did, and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of media. There were many, many media press conferences with him, so it's not all too surprising. But I actually thought that he might go to one of their later picks in the first round. I.e., maybe I think it's the 14th pick that they also had. I think that's where I thought he was going, not all the way at six. So. I think that they could have gotten some better players with this pick, but in the end, you know, it's the Thunder. They're looking for long-term prospects, so I, I don't think that it's going to be too much of a problem. And uh, before I get on to my last one, I have Josh Primo here at number 12 to San Antonio, but let's just say this. I don't think that anybody picked 
anybody way too early. I actually think that this was one of the more the more more sound drafts that there have been. Uh, this one seemed like every single pick was like, okay, I can see it. I mean, if you don't see it immediately, like I don't see the Josh Giddy thing immediately. I don't see Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs immediately. But at the same time, when you sit down and you look at it, you can rationalize, okay, maybe they didn't pick Suggs because Gary Trent. I don't know. There must be some reason, right? Maybe it's because of Fred Van Vliet. There has to be some reason that Toronto is thinking that. And it feels like there's always like a reason that you could take in any of these picks um, that you could say, that's the reason why they picked this guy instead of this guy, even if you don't agree with the pick. So I think this was actually a very well-drafted draft. Yeah, I think, um, I think the Spurs just really wanted to get, when they said they needed to get younger, they really took it to heart and well, <laughs> decided to draft the youngest guy well, in right. NCAA and, last year. Well, right, and, I'm all, and I was also going to say about the Primo pick, it's San Antonio, so you don't really have to worry about who they pick. You just know that eventually, no matter what, I mean, by the way, they made a really a pick that everybody thought was an awful pick last year. I believe Devin Vassell went way too early to them. Uh yeah, I'm pretty sure he went over his teammate Patrick Williams, who was projected to go, who was projected to go like five picks earlier than him, and then he went earlier than him the other way around. So, look, the Spurs make these picks all the time, and guess what? They always work out. So again, the fact that they're even on the way too early list just goes to show you that the rest of the teams did a very good job drafting. But look, he was projected to go in like the 20s. So you think maybe even also what I was thinking is, why don't you just trade back and get an extra pick, especially because you're the Spurs, right? So you develop everybody. Get a second round pick and then pick Primo at 18 or something like that and still get the same guy. I think that would be better. But uh, who am I to say it's San Antonio Spurs? I'm not going to say anything about it. All right. Well, in addition to the draft, there's been a flurry of trades and free agent signings in the NBA, that some of which may make some of the draft picks make sense uh, a couple days later. So uh, let's take a look at them. Obviously, the one that actually happened, well, this one wasn't a signing, but it was a huge, huge trade that actually happened before our last podcast, but with the end, with uh, what, how many trades did we say there were? 41, and I think we actually missed two or three of them anyway. Um, I think there were 45 total, something like that. Yeah, we, we had to skip over Russell Westbrook for a little bit, but here we are now. Now we get to talk about it. Russell Westbrook, a 2024 second round pick and a 2028 second round pick. By the way, I didn't even know you could trade picks seven years in advance, but that's a different story. To the Los Angeles Lakers for Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and the number 22 pick in this year's draft, which turned out to be Isaiah Jackson. That's who the Wizards wanted. Um, this is a blockbuster. There's no other way to put it. This is a huge trade. It, I don't think it actually necessarily changes the landscape of who's contending this year. I think the Lakers were already contenders, I think. This is already maybe the second favorite that you'd say, maybe behind the Nets only, and still probably ahead of the defending champion Bucks. But this really makes it a huge conversation between the Lakers and the Nets, but then it also makes a conversation, who are the Lakers going to pick up? And we're about to answer that in a second. But I think all the people who think that this trade uh, isn't going to work out because Russ can't shoot, etc., etc., all that stuff, it's going to work out. They need a playmaker. He brings energy. He brings defense. One of the things that I felt that the Lakers were lacking last year is really a guy like Rajon Rondo who's just there to be really, really, or even a Patrick Beverly who maybe not necessarily to be annoying, but to provide a lot of defense and a lot of just, even without actually being a good defender, just annoying actually is the right word for it. There's actually not a better word for it. Just pesky on the defensive end and somebody who brings a lot of energy or like a campaign was for the Suns or Bobby Portis for the Bucks. if you're talking about the finals teams. 
every team needs that guy. And especially when you have LeBron and AD with AD kind of being injured and maybe trying to... I'm not saying he didn't put in max effort all the time, but I wouldn't blame him if he didn't because he's injured all the time. And then you have LeBron who's getting older and he was also injured this year. So they need a guy who's going to put in max effort 100% of the time. Russell Westbrook fits that script and he's also a playmaker and it also opens opens the tables for them to maybe move Dennis Schroeder in a sign-and-trade somewhere and get somebody else for him, get a big shooter like a Buddy Heald, somebody with a big name like that. It's, it's all possible, but that's what I think about the Russ trade. And look, the Lakers are going to find signings with other people. You don't go get $25 million shooters. You get those people with the, vet le- with the, with the veteran mid-level exceptions in the draft. That's not something you do with your... Huge with a lot of cap space. Yeah, I think the I think the stat is I might have the numbers wrong. The Lakers, between Westbrook, James, and Anthony Davis, they have 120 million dollars. Yeah, I believe in guaranteed it's something like contracts, that. Yeah. and then they only have one other player under contract for next year. So they have to populate not only one more of their starting five, well, probably two more, but their entire roster with basically cap exemptions. Well, the also the other thing that you have to add there is that the cap this year is $112 million. So they're already over the cap with four players. Or with three players, three. sorry. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous, but at the same time, the way it works in the NBA, first of all, the tax threshold is $136 million. The Lakers could go above the tax if they wanted to also. So they'll be just fine in terms of finances, but also... I think they could actually build a roster staying under the taxes limit as long as they only use um, the mid-level exceptions. I'm not sure how those rules work. They're very, very confusing with how one of them doesn't contribute to cap space, et cetera, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But should we move on to who they actually did add? What have have the Lakers now done to add to their four-man roster? Well, they dug into the recent past. Uh, They signed a bunch of players that used to be on the team uh, attempting to win other titles in the past, but this one, a new title run. They added Trevor Ariza, they added Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, all one year, and Dwight Howard, again, for the third time, Dwight Howard goes from a team to the Lakers, the third time. Uh, I don't know how this, I, I, I honestly, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that he's been on the Lakers three different times, but look, one of them was a massive failure, a big disaster. The second one won a championship, so who's to say what the third one is going to What's going to well, happen well, with the third the one? Lakers better hope the pattern doesn't hold because that means major disaster again. But. Well, or it could mean something in between, which yeah. is probably not probably that good for them either because I don't think they want anything less than a title. I think it's title or bust for the Lakers, and that's why they're making these moves. And by the way, they're also rumored uh, to try to be signing Patty Mills. They're in direct competition with the Nets, which, by the way, be pretty funny if Patty Mills had a great NBA Finals and a Lakers Nets Finals, and basically the team who got him won the Finals before the season started. That'd be pretty interesting. Um, and then also Carmelo Anthony, who, as we know, uh, is a big friend of LeBron. So it's possible. We don't know what might happen. I don't know if I mean, you know, it might be it might be time for Carmelo to take less money to be with a big big contender as opposed to signing with a team like Portland again, maybe a team like Philly that's kind of in that range where. You say maybe they could make a run at the chip, but they probably don't have enough. I think it might be time for him to take a pay cut and join the Nets, the Lakers, one of the one of the huge super teams. It might be time, uh, and who knows how he feels about it. But maybe to play with LeBron, maybe he would do it. So we'll see what happens with the Lakers. But those are the big news. That, that was the big news with their actual players. However, one of their players, 
uh, did get signed away. The Bulls signed Alex Caruso to a four-year $37 million deal and signed another former Laker, Lonzo Ball, to a four-year $85 million deal. They're also rumored to be interested in DeMar DeRozan. What do I think about this? I really don't know. I, I don't know how... In my opinion, I just don't see Zach Levine, Lonzo Ball, and Nikola Vucevic as a winning core that's going to get you a championship. And why would you, like, opt to be stuck in the four to five seed, um, <laughs> the four to five seed conundrum in the East where that's pretty easy to obtain? Pretty much actually easier to get to the four or five seed in the East than I'd argue to get into the playoffs in the West. Like, I just don't see why they do this. But at the same time, they want to be contending. This is Chicago. They need to have a good basketball team. So at some point, you gotta you got to just make some moves to just at least get to the playoffs. Because last year they did, and they didn't even make it. So they also have to do something to, to persuade Zach Levine to even stay with them. And if they didn't get him to sign as a franchise player, then everything that was ever related to Jimmy Butler was a complete and total loss and meant absolutely nothing. So they do have to do something to get Levine to stay. Maybe just a playoff appearance is enough, and then maybe they try to do some other stuff in the future. Uh, but I guess this is enough for now. If they get DeMar DeRozan, it would really change my mind. But for now, I still see the Bulls as probably not even a 4 or 5 seed, probably a 6 or 7 seed in the East, and really depends on how other rosters shake out. But I think these are interesting, good pickups, but they're not great pickups. All right, and so the Pelicans lost Lonzo Ball, so what did they do? Well, they got Devontae Graham in a sign-and-trade with the Charlotte Hornets. I don't think we actually know what the return is yet. But four years, $47 million, so a big pay difference between him and Lonzo for the same amount of years. And Devontae Graham is a really good player. He's a player that he can be a good scorer for the Pelicans after they also lost Eric Bledsoe in that trade with Memphis. Uh, actually, you know what? Let's take a little... <laughs> Let's get off of Devontae Graham for a second. Let's go to that trade. So the Grizzlies traded Jonas Valanciunas, the number 17 pick and the number 51 pick, to the Pelicans for Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, the number 10 pick, the number 40 pick, and the Lakers' 2022 first-round pick. Uh, the Grizzlies did really well in this trade. I think there's no way around that. I think the Grizzlies really added a lot to their roster, and if they want to contend with John Morant, they already made the playoffs last year. This could take them from like an 8 seed to maybe a 6 seed. This could, this really could elevate them over a team like Portland, I think, if they play well enough throughout the rest of the season. It could do that. I, I honestly think that. Uh, and if they want to stay in that conversation, look, it's a tough conversation because look who missed the playoffs last year. The Warriors did. They get Klay Thompson back. Look, it's going to be hard to make the playoffs in the West. The Grizzlies made a move that positions themselves to do that. And then I think the Pelicans made a move that's Another one where you say, okay, we're building around Zion, we're building around Zion, everything's about Zion. Um, and then by adding Devontae Graham, I think that's basically the replacement for Bledsoe, and then Adams and Valanciunas kind of cancel each other out, so maybe this was their plan all along to find somebody like this. If Lonzo wanted too much money, which maybe he didn't want too much money for him, but for the Pelicans, maybe too much. Uh, so that's what the Pelicans end up doing. Mm, probably doesn't move them up that much. I mean, it probably moves them away from a position where they end the standings tied with the Sacramento Kings. But at the same time, I don't think this puts them in the playoff picture. They might make it into the play-in the play game, though. And at that point, you got to see what happens, right? So I think it's worth it. I think it's a good move, I guess. Um, 
And, I mean, there's really no other opportunity. You're not going to waste all of Zion's rookie contract and then have him go sign somewhere else like Anthony Davis ends up doing or requesting a trade later on. So you got to do something to make them win soon. All right, well, let's talk about the Miami Heat, who uh, had four big transactions involving free agents. Yep, they got Kyle Lowry in a sign-and-trade. This was a huge move, actually. Three years, $90 million they're paying him. They stole P.J. Tucker from the Bucks for two years, $15 million. They re-signed Jimmy Butler to a max deal of four years and $184 million. That's a lot of money. Um, and then they also re-signed Duncan Robinson to a five-year, $90 million deal. Look, those are four out of five of a starting five that could easily win the East, especially when you look at the team that won the East this year. No, Jimmy Butler isn't Giannis, but at the same time, this Heat team beat Giannis last year in the playoffs. Does that mean that they're going to do it next year? Probably not. The Bucks are a lot better. Giannis is a lot better on his own. Uh, Drew Holiday made that team a lot better. But at the same time, this is a really, really good core that the Heat had with uh, with Jimmy Butler, with Duncan Robinson before. I think they do lose Goran, uh, Goran Dragic in this trade in this sign and trade though with with uh, the Raptors. But at the same time, Lowry easily re- replaces him and probably is better than him. So a good trade for the Heat. And by the way. The rest of their roster depth is still there. Maybe they lose Andre Godala, but yeah. Um, and shout out to Duncan Robinson. Signs the largest contract ever signed in the history of the league for an undrafted free agent. And I'd bet from a D3 player, yeah. too. Pretty uh, long way from uh, Division three to undrafted free agent, to Division one at Michigan, to undrafted free agent, to now a five-year, $90 million contract. Hard work does still pay off, people. Yeah. All right, and something else. For you, we talked about P.J. Tucker leaving the Bucks to go to the Heat in kind of a surprise move. Uh, the Bucks did retain a, a key piece from their championship. Well, maybe, actually probably more important than P.J. Tucker, probably actually slides right into his role. Uh, and if you ask the fans of Milwaukee, they'll be chanting, Bobby, 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 for another two years, because he just re-signed for $9 million in two years. I'd actually say that's a pretty, that's a steal. Uh, to get him for, what, almost half the amount that they're, that the Heat are paying P.J. Tucker after, look, you're not going to find many guys who, who score 16 points in a finals game and then end up signing for $4.5 million a year. Yeah, that's that to me seems like it's a typo in the NBA. That looks like a, you know, I don't know, that looks like a... Should running, be two years, $19 million yeah, maybe? Or, yeah, or, or, or a running back contract in, in the NFL. That That's a surprising number. All right, let's move on to uh, who the Bucks played in the NBA Finals. We have the Suns. They re-signed Chris Paul for a rumored four years and $120 million, which would take Chris Paul... Uh, if they make it to the playoffs until May 6th, it would take him into his age 40 season at the very, very, very end of that fourth year. Uh, good, really good move. They re-signed campaign three years at 19 million, and they signed JaVale McGee for one year, 5 million. Uh, interesting name because JaVale didn't really play much last year. The Nuggets signed him. I don't really remember the reason why. I don't think he ended up playing that much for them. I don't remember him playing that much in the playoffs other than the game where Jokic got ejected. But at the same time, I feel like the Suns... Look, Payne, I actually think campaign could be worth more money somewhere else in the same way. I mean, look, P.J. Tucker's making more per year than campaign. I don't think... I, I don't know how that ends up happening, to be quite honest. But at the same time, good pickup for Payne. Uh, keeping Chris Paul there is important because it leaves that core together, a core that just went to the championship game, or the championship game, the NBA Finals, and took two games from the Bucks in the Finals. You need to keep the core together. They did that. 
And then they also add JaVale McGee to get some to get some depth behind DeAndre Ayton that, look, I'm not going to lie, I think you'd much rather have JaVale McGee playing than Frank Kaminsky when DeAndre Ayton's out of the game. So it's very, those are very important pickups for the Suns. All right, let's quickly go through some of the other uh, big-name signings uh, or big names with not big teams or important signings for uh, other teams of significance. We have Mike Conley re-signing with the Jazz for three years, $72.5 million. Again, the Jazz, number one, actually number one overall record in the league last year. Another team where they'd say, you like to keep the core together, but by the way, when you have nine teams keeping their cores together, two of them made the finals, and then two of them have, have ridiculous super teams, I, I don't know how the other five end up competing, but we'll just have to see how that happens. It's really shaping up to be an interesting season next year. Uh, you have Blake Griffin re-signing with one of those super teams, the Nets, for one year. Norman Powell re-signs for five years, $90 million with the Blazers. Gary Trent Jr. signs for three years, $54 million with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, the Knicks keep Alec Burks for three years, $30 million. Uh, Nerlens Noel for three years, $32 million. Derek Rose for three years, $43 million. And add Evan Fournier for four years, $78 million. So, again, another team keeping together their core. At although, least for three years. Yeah, although not for, not a championship core necessarily. And I think actually Randall, Julius Randall, ironically enough, is signed for, I think, two or three more years anyway. So, yeah, next two, three years, they do have the same team. And also, R.J. Barrett's still going to be on his rookie deal. Uh then you have Tim Hardaway Jr., the former Nick, re-signing with the Mavericks for four years, $74 million. Uh, again, another team that's maybe not keeping the core around because you never know what will happen with Porzingis, but they're keeping the, the guys around Luka that they think Luka needs to be surrounded with. Jared Allen re-signs with the Cavs for five years, $100 million. I think the only $100 million deal of the day beside Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler. Yeah. yeah. So, by the way, Jared Allen can play. That was a he's a really good player. He deserves that money. But uh yeah, it's interesting that the Cavs keep doing this where they keep signing centers to big money deals and then don't have any guard play and don't have any other forwards to make a championship team, to even make a playoff team, to be quite honest. It's kind of interesting. We'll see we'll see what happens with their draft picks in the future and how those guys pan out, how Colin Sexton develops, how Darius Garland develops. But I think Garland, Allen, and Sexton is a pretty good young core, but uh, you're going to have to wait until some of these teams fade away in the East for that core to really kind of take flight and make the playoffs. Then you have Daniel Tice signing with the Rockets. He actually was formerly on the Bulls for four years, $36 million. And then the Spurs signing Doug McDermott for three years, $42 million. Uh, interesting pickup for the Spurs and for the Rockets. Both those Texas teams not really in contention, so it's kind of interesting that they're not maybe not exactly emptying the pockets, but... Um, they're, they're paying some money for really guys that you'd assume are fifth, fourth, sixth men, seventh Maybe they men. they view them as, as, you know, solid veterans that can help tutor yeah. uh, younger players and develop them. I think that's what you have to assume. And at the same, and at the same time, you'd rather be them having, you'd rather be both of those teams having the ability to pay Daniel Tice 9 million a year and Doug McDermott 14 million a year than be the Lakers where you have to go back and get five players from an ancient, from title runs past um, on veteran exceptions. All right. Well, that wraps up our detailed look at the NBA draft, NBA trades, NBA free agency, and this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, April 6th. Friday, August 6th. We're not taking, not that, quite. We're taking that big of a holiday. Friday, August 6th, where we will have our weekly analysis of MLB action and, assuming there's not something else that preempts it again, maybe actually get to the topic of discussing 
what we thought was possible conference realignment, but looks like for sure uh, conference realignment with maybe even more rumors uh, in the NCAA. Oh, and by the way, the more we wait, the more information comes out uh, with the Big 12 saying a lot of stuff, the SEC saying a lot of stuff. You get more media conferences the longer you wait. So more information to talk about, too. We will discuss what is the uh, sure to be at least a, a minor tremor, if not a full tectonic shift in the landscape of the NCAA. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games and his MLB Power Rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.